Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us before we get into our, our last sermon in Titus. Uh, so please bow your heads as I lead us in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for um, the gospel. Thank you that we can meet uh, together this evening and open your word. Uh, so we do pray that uh, as I speak, uh, that you would expose the text to us and that you, I would speak your very words. I pray that you would transform us to be more like your son, Jesus even as we marvel at your grace, I pray that tonight uh, you would help us to live transformed and changed lives uh, in this age, uh, living in, in Midland. So we do pray this, uh, trusting that you can do it as you work powerfully in us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, someone once said that God, the grace of God is uh, that God sees us as we are, uh, and that he loves us as we are, accepts us as we are, uh, but by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. And I think that is a great summary of what the letter to Titus is all about. As you work your way through it, you'll see that so much of it has to do with God's grace poured out on us and how that grace transforms and changes our lives. So that's what we have been looking at for the last five weeks um, and tonight we're wrapping it up. Uh, and what I'm going to do tonight is just kind of work our way through the rest of uh, the letter, um, but focus in on uh, our, our verse that was read to us um, this evening. If you were not with us, you'd remember, or if you've forgotten, you'd remember that Titus is a letter that Paul writes to this young young guy uh, called Titus, who's a leader of the churches that he planted in this region called Crete. Um, Crete was a place uh, of that looked like Joburg on steroids. Uh, that is where people lived it up. Uh, people partied. 
uh, they drank, uh, and they were all about making the paper. Uh, so uh, that is pretty much what t- um, um, the context in which the churches uh, are planted there. So Paul tells Titus that this is how church leadership ought to look like in this place that is so uh, so ungodly. Um, and you'd remember that we started off our series with a box. How many of us remember that box? Uh, and we said that that box, it was full of wires and all, all sorts of different messes. And we said that that's a representation of life that is lived outside of a relationship with God. When you and I live ungodly lives, when we live in a society that rejects God, it becomes a tangled mess, and yet God steps into our mess, and he comes to transform uh, that mess. Uh, So in Titus, Paul tells Titus about how God transforms this mess um, through the local church. Uh, so the church is the place where real transformation happens because the church is the place where people who have messy lives come to, uh, people with tangled messes. Uh, some of us come in uh, with all sorts of different habits that we've picked up over the years, uh, and the message of the gospel is that God wants to transform uh, those habits. Uh, some of us uh, come bringing insecurities as we come to church. We are carrying that box around filled with mess, uh, the insecurities um, that we carry, um, perhaps because of experiences that we've been through uh, or some of the things that people have done to us. Uh, so we respond to life uh, in a way that is twisted, that is messy. Some of us come in here with dirty issues, um, and that is the mess that you and I carry, um, that you've, over the years, had um, this issue that your father was absent um, every time you want to bring it up with your mom, it becomes a fight, uh, and therefore you've ran to other places to fill, um, to fill that void of a father. That you'd go for anybody who tells you you are the most beautiful girl ever. You'll do anything for them uh, just so that you can get that acceptance. Yet God says that grace um, that is displayed uh, is for you. This transformation, he wants it for you. Some of us grew up in spoiled families where we were the center of the world. We come to Joburg. Suddenly, we're no longer the center of the world. And we manipulate and use others so that we can exact our, 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 our superiority over others using so many different tactics, either by bullying or by backbiting, whatever the case may be. Life in this city is a mess because uh, many different people who are broken and sinful, that is each and every person who comes to this city, um, uh, has a box of mess that they're carrying. Uh, so we saw that God uh, wants to transform uh, those, um, those people like you and I. God wants them to live godly lives in this ungodly city. Um, so we'll see that six times um, Paul mentions good works um, as an emphasis for what he wants the church to live out. So have a look at chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, this is when Paul is talking about the false teachers. And listen to what he says about the false teachers. Uh, he says, because they haven't believed sound doctrine, listen to how they live. Chapter 1, verse 16. Um, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Uh, so again, he contrasts those false teachers with the church. And have a look at chapter 2, verse 7. This is how the church ought to look like. This is what he tells Titus. 
um, in chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, so integrity uh, and dignity. So Titus, as for you, you are to be living out good works um, and showing, being a model to the rest of the church uh, for good works. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14, uh, he's talking about Jesus and the uh, salvation that he brings. Listen to what he says. Uh, Jesus, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself. This is why Jesus came to die for lawless people, uh, so that he can purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the mandate of the church, that it ought to be uh, zealous uh, for doing God good works. Again, chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. That is the mandate of the church. Chapter 3, verse 8, again, this concept of good works coming up. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. I want you to keep on preaching the gospel, Paul says to Titus, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Um, do you notice how it's coming up again? Last one in verse 14, uh, as he's speaking about uh, his fellow workers, and uh, and he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Uh, so on and on again, Paul reminds uh, Titus that the church ought to be a place uh, where as the world looks uh, to them, they should be seeing a transformed community that is eager and ready to do good works. Why should they do that? Uh, have a look at chapter 2, verse 10. This is the reason why they should be doing that. Talking to employees here, he says that they ought to, um, to, to, to be good employees. Why? Um, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, faith. Why? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And so the reason they ought to do good works and live as good employees is so that when people look at them, uh, they may want uh, the God uh, that these guys believe in, that people, when they look at them, they may be drawn to the message of the gospel. To adorn the doctrine of our Savior is to make attractive uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's why they ought to live out good works. I think that's the mandate, not just for um, the, the, the time in Crete, but also for the church in Midrand, that if you are an employee, Paul is calling you to live out your life as a Christian, to be different in your workplace, uh, so as when people look at you, they may say, we want what that guy has. I've, been, I've had the privilege of um, walking into office spaces, um, seeing guys at their cubicles, earphones on, um, working and grafting hard, making that paper. Uh, they look quite intense. Uh, in corporate Joburg. Um, but as you look at them, I don't think there's any distinctive um, that you look around and say, that one is a Christian, that one isn't. Um, there isn't something on the outward appearance that would say to you, this is a Christian and this isn't. But Paul says, as you, as somebody in your office regularly examines your life, um, they should say, that guy is different from us. You ought to be living such a different life on, um, in your workplace so that when people look at you, uh, they may be drawn to you because you're so different uh, from them. 
So that's what Paul says um, to Titus. And the question that I think we should be asking is, how, how do you even begin to do that? Because that seems like a heavy burden to lay on someone. Be different in your workplace. Uh, because many of us would say, man, I don't know, if you were to come to my workplace, I don't think a lot of people know that I'm a Christian. In fact, sometimes I'm even embarrassed to bring up the fact that I'm Christian because I think they'll attack me. Um, if you were to walk to your office space, uh, and ask and tell the receptionist, your pastor is here uh, to visit you. Would they be surprised? This guy has a pastor. This guy goes to church. Would they say that of you? Um, I think that um, sometimes we do feel like, shucks, man, we're not living up to the standard that um, that Paul calls us to and calls the church to um, in Titus. Uh, so we should be asking ourselves this question. How can we begin to live that out? How can we live lives that are so attractive that when the world looks at us, and they are drawn, drawn to it? And I think the answer in Titus, if you've missed it, is this one word, grace. Grace is the key thing that drives um, uh, the letter to Titus. Grace is the key concept that is at the heart of the gospel, that God steps towards us before we can step um, towards him. Uh, and that without that grace-driven effort, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, you and I cannot, uh, cannot live godly lives. Uh, apart from the grace of God, you cannot even please God. Apart from the grace of God, we will always disappoint God. We never cease uh, to disappoint him. We are Mabena. <laughs> for, for, for those who don't know, Mabena is that tall soldier who was trending on social media, who never ceases to disappoint his, uh, his superiors. Um, and so the, the phrase, you are a mabena, uh, means that you never cease to disappoint. And I think that is us. Outside of a relationship with Christ, outside of grace, we never cease to disappoint God. And so Paul spends his time explaining to us this grace. Last week we saw uh, chapter 2, verse 11. This is what he says about grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Reggie was breaking it down for us. If you've missed that sermon, go online and look at it. Uh, this is what grace does. It trains us to, to renounce ungodliness. The NIV says to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And this is the grace of God. And Paul says, for you to live a godly life, you ought to look back as a Christian, always look back to, your, to that grace uh, and look forward um, to the future grace. Always be looking back at what God has done for you and always be looking forward to what he has in store for you. Can you see that in this few verses? Firstly, he picks up um, the, the appearing of grace. Have a look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. This is previously bringing salvation to all people. He's referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who lived in history, who walked the streets of Bethlehem, who died a gruesome death on the cross, death as a criminal who has committed the highest treason in the land. Um, he did so not because he was guilty, uh, but because he uh, was representing us 
the very same people who, uh, who committed the worst kind of treason, who rejected God and the ultimate authority. Uh, so that is grace, that God um, demonstrates his love in Jesus, coming to bring salvation and to all people. And Paul says, as we look back at that grace, it trains us to renounce ungodliness, to say no to ungodliness. How does it do that? Well, when I see just how much Jesus loves me and died for my sins, I'm motivated um, to want to live for him. There's a great hymn um, in Sesotho. It says, um, Jesus is my savior. He's chosen a place for me before the Father. I love him because he first loved me. The only way for us to love God is to recognize that he first loved us. He stepped towards us even in our sin. But Paul not only says to Titus to look back at the grace uh, that God uh, did when he, um, he, he sent his son Jesus, but he calls him to look forward. Um, have a look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice there there's, there's two appearings, one in verse 11, the second one, uh, the appearing of the glory of, um, of, of, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that one day Jesus, this very same Jesus who died um, and came back to life, is going to come back uh, to bring those who believe in him uh, to be with God. And that is the Christian hope. That is the thing that we look forward to. Um, as we live our life in the here and now, Paul says, be looking forward to what God has in store for you. Um, because it is big. It is big. Just think about it for a minute, what it is that we hope for. Uh, the Bible teaches us that in the same way that Jesus came back to life sinless and perfected, you and I, if we trust in him, we will be resurrected likewise that we will live before the Father in a perfected world. Just think about all your dreams, hopes, and desires being fulfilled. You lacking nothing because you are in the presence of the one who made it all uh, and the one who gives your life meaning and purpose. And when you realize that there's so much in store for me, Paul says it transforms the way you live right here in Jobek. Um, that you don't live for pleasure because you know that no amount of pleasure will ever satisfy you uh, like what Jesus has in store for you. So that is the grace of God that is at the heart of the message of Titus. This grace teaches us uh, and transforms our lives so that we can live for God. And the more that we appreciate this grace, uh, the more we grow as Christians. So this is what we're going to uh, do as we look at uh, the last few verses. Um, as I said in the beginning, uh, someone said that God sees us as we are, and I think that's a nice structure to be looking at our passage. He loves us as we are. He accepts us as we are. But by his grace, that does not leave us as we are. So firstly, uh, he's, um, he sees us as we are. Have a look at verse 1. Um, Picking it up from verse 1. This is an edge that Paul uh, has to the church. Remind them, that is, um, those within the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, 
to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Just in those two verses, Paul, again, is urging the church to be different from the culture around them. That if the culture is going towards ungodliness, if the culture is rejecting authority, the church ought to be different. If the culture is using words and speech as a way to bring down people, as a way to backstep and get your way to the top, the church ought to be different uh, from from that. Um, and he gives them the motivation um, to do so. Have a look at verse 3 as he tells them how God used to see them outside of a relationship with himself. Verse 3. This is the tangled mess that Paul defines for us. For we, that is, Christians ourselves, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is a life outside of the gospel. This is how God sees us before we turn um, to Jesus. And I just want to break down those words because there's so much invested in uh, the meaning of those words. Number one, foolish. What, what is he talking about there? That life outside of a relationship with Jesus um, is foolish. We were once foolish. Um, that does not refer to intellectual stupidity. Um, every time the Bible mentions foolishness, uh, it refers to somebody who lives their life as if there is no God. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or someone who says there is a God, but their life proves that there isn't. Uh, so those are called practical atheists. And I think you and I, sometimes we are practical atheists because we live like there is no God. And Paul says, outside of a relationship with God, this is who we are. The second thing there is that we are disobedient um, to God. We're disobedient. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself like that. Perhaps you're not a Christian this evening. Um, you've come here. Perhaps this might be offensive to you. How can you say, I'm disobedient? Yet that is what Paul says right there in verse 3, that outside of a relationship with God, uh, we are disobedient. This is a concept that I think our culture doesn't embrace. I mean, everyone can say, God loves us all. I mean, who doesn't want a loving God? Obviously, that's God's job to love us. He should be. If there is a God, he has to be a loving God. He has to love us despite anything that we do. Yet it is hard to swallow this very fact that we are disobedient to this God who loves us. It's hard to tell, convince somebody that they are disobedient. Um, he says that they are led astray. We are led astray outside of a relationship with God. Um, that means we've uh, lost the plot. We've gone off the rails. Um, and sometimes you, you don't, before you are a Christian, you don't even realize just how lost you are, how led astray you are. Our culture doesn't think um, that we are lost. We say things like we run to greed and materialism and we say, well, I'm not really greedy. The thing is I'm hardworking uh, and I'm determined. Um, I'm not really lasting after that girl. I still remember a guy in gym watching girls exercising. I'm like, hey, bro, what are you looking at? 
And he's like, no, bro, I'm, I'm just checking out the technique. Like, I'm just looking at their, like, how they're exercising. Um, that's being lost, isn't it? We fool ourselves uh, into saying we, um, we're not lasting. We're just appreciating beauty. That's what we're doing. I'm not stingy. I'm just, I just like saving my money. Notice how he continues to define life outside of a relationship with God. He says that they, we were once slaves to various passions and pleasures. Again, I don't know if any um, respectable person working in corporate SA would think of themselves as a slave to sin, but yet that's what Paul, how Paul defines us, that outside of Christ, if you're not mastered by Christ, Something else is mastering you, and that thing is sin. And sin has a mastery over us. It tells us where to spend our time, where to spend our money, who to look for, where to search um, on the website, what car to buy even though you don't have money to, which women to go for. Um, Sin enslaving us means that sometimes we know the right thing to do, but we find ourselves not doing the right thing. Um, we know the wrong thing that we're not supposed to be doing, but we find ourselves running to that. And that is a picture of slavery. And, uh, and sin uh, is a slave master that has power over us. This is life outside of a relationship with God. Notice the other thing that he says is that we are passing our days in malice and envy. I just like that word, passing our days. It's like we're sitting out there chilling and chatting about how much we hate this one, envy this one. Um, that is the reality of life outside of, outside of Christ. We're just passing our days in godlessness. Um, I was speaking to a group of um, students yesterday, uh, bringing up this verse, um, and I was remembering a time where in varsity, and that this is what guys used to do. We are passing our days in ungodliness. One of the things that we used to do, if you, how many of us been to UJ? No, not a lot of people from UJ. Okay, there's a place at UJ, in UJ called SS. That's the student center. Um, and next to the student center, there was a rest called Operive. And close to it, there was a ramp um, where like every student uh, would go. Uh, towards their lectures, um, and this was a quite a busy, busy um, sort of corridor. And guys used to sit by the benches outside Operif, passing their days in ungodliness, uh, and they called it bed watching. So, so bed watching is you looking at the beds that are coming and going, uh, but not beds with feathers. Obviously, they were looking at women, and this was just. Um, like the envy of passing our days, just chilling there, wasting our time, looking at girls coming and going. Ish, that one. Um, that is a life outside of a relationship with God. Um, he says that we were hated by others and hating one another. Isn't that life right here in our ungodly city and our ungodly land? Um, a life that is characterized by hate, um, hate within families, hate at your workplace, racial hate, blacks hating whites, whites hating blacks, blacks hating Indians. That is the life outside of a relationship with God. And that's how God saw us. Um, 
God saw us in our mess, but he loved us as we were. Have a look at verse 4. Quite a strong contrast of that life. And so this is who we were in verse 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of, of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Isn't that awesome? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through the Lord Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the goodness of our Lord. In our sin, he's, uh, he still loves us as we are. And notice the blessings that he pours out on us. He saves us not because we are any good, um, but because of his own mercy and his own grace. He lavishes his grace on us. That is the gospel message. And notice he keeps on piling this work of the powerful God who takes sinners and transforms them. Uh, he says that he was, he, we are saved not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. Regeneration means new birth. It is a fresh start uh, of someone who was passing uh, his life in ungodliness. That's a fresh start that God gives us. He renews us and, and gives us a fresh start through the Holy Spirit whom he pours out onto us. What a joy it is to have fellowship with this holy God and through the Holy Spirit. Not because of anything we did, but purely because of his grace. He accepts us as we are. Have a look at verse 7. Um, so that being justified by his grace, we might become as according to the hope of eternal life. That is the Christian life. That God takes messy people like we see in verse 3 and he makes them as. Um, people who stand to inherit eternal life. How crazy is that? I don't know if you've heard stories of inheritance. Some people, there was a guy called Garabo. Uh, we used to call him Ansa back in the day. Um, Ansa had um, a dad who worked in the mine. Ansa was staying in a relatively okay house. Um, and so what happened is, that answers dead, unfortunately, passed on and left him a whole lot of money. Answer was the richest guy in town. I still remember the days of Cortez, Nike. Uh, he would be rolling Nike from top to bottom. Uh, he had color, color screen phones before these things were, uh, were, were popular. He was just rich. Um, and, and he did nothing to deserve that money. But yet, he's dead. Um, 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 he inherited it because he was heir to it and obviously he wasted it. Um, but that's a picture of someone who didn't deserve uh, the money that he got because he didn't work hard for it. Um, a recent story is of that guy. You guys know him, uh, the petrol guy from Shell, who gives a hundred bucks note to this lady who's coming to pour petrol. And then what happens um, this lady thanks him so much on social media. And then they ran a campaign of him. And then everyone donated a hundred bucks. In a couple of days, he had over 500k just for donating a uh, hundred bucks. Quite an amazing story of someone getting more than he deserved or more than, um, he had bargained for. 
But I think that's nothing compared to what Jesus does for us. Because at least in this case, he gave something um, to get something out. But in our case, we gave nothing. In fact, we are enemies of God, yet God steps towards us in grace and in favor. And if there's anything that should transform us, is pondering on this grace. If you think about this grace, you're not going to waste your money like Ansa did. You'd want to live for God. And Titus says that the only way for us to live for God right here in Joburg, the only way for us to be good people is by recognizing the goodness of God in our lives. Let me just kind of tease that out as we end off our time together. Um, One of the things that were happening, one of the reasons why Paul emphasizes grace is because you and I are inclined towards the opposite. You and I are not inclined to recognizing grace. You and I want to earn our place before God. We want to please God by our good deeds. That is how society works, isn't it? You go to work, put in the hard work, or some of us, and then you get uh, money at the end of the, the, the month, isn't it? That's how society works. And so we're inclined to view God in that way. Churches are also inclined to preach um, change, preach moral change in that way. Um, we do it sometimes by appealing to fear. So we tell people, you better obey God or else you'll go to hell. And so what do you do? You fear that, you don't want to go to hell, so you turn to Jesus because you don't want to go to hell, but you don't turn to him because he's a good God and you are seeking uh, his goodness. Uh, So that's fear, and fear can motivate us to live the Christian life uh, for a while, but it can only take us um, a certain distance. The other way in which we do it is through pride. We say to people, man, don't be like the world. Don't be like those guys outside. You guys are different. Uh, Just find it in you uh, to obey God. And again, that is pride, and it makes us think that we are higher than other people. It makes us judgmental. It makes us not extend grace to other people, and it can only take us so far. Because if I'm relying on myself, one day I'm going to do something, and I'm like, jeez, was that me? Yes, it was. That is the sin that is in your heart coming out because it was never dealt with. Listen to how one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, teases out this um, kind of I- this idea of grace uh, and Christians. Um, he says that Christians who, no long- who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual uh, achievements, um, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness, a defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to reinforce their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. In other words, when people do not build their lives on on their standing in the gospel, they are insecure, guilt-ridden, defensive, quarreling, bigoted, selfish, inward-looking, and afraid. That leads, 
that leads to a dead church that cannot grow. Unless the gospel is communicated clearly and the difference is made clear between religious moralism and the gospel, between common morality and true virtue, that is a life that flows from the inside out, obedience that flows from the inside out. The Christian church is just one one more place that common morality is manufactured. So if we don't preach the message of the gospel, then we're just churning out little Pharisees, people who think that they are better than others. And this is what he says. This is what, one of the reasons why churches are filled with so many backbiting and, and strife. Underneath the external moral behavior is seething insecurity, fear, painful self-concentration, and pride. Uh, you see, the only way to stop backbiting, the only way to stop putting others down for real transformation to happen in your life is if the gospel message transforms you. It's if you understand that I'm accepted before God, not because of anything I did, but by sheer mercy. How does that change your life? Or I'm not going to look for uh, affirmation by putting down others. I'm not going to look for happiness by seeking it in pure pleasure and living the Jobek life. And the grace of God is going to transform me to seek more and more of God um, and to be satisfied in him. So just as we end of our series, I hope you get that. Because if you don't get that, um, you are not going to, um, to understand the key to transformation. If you don't get the gospel, you cannot possibly live for God right here in Jobek. And can I ask you um, to just think, uh, perhaps as you apply these things uh, in your life, to think about some of the things that you battle with. Um, have you lost hope in some of those things? Uh, have you thought to yourself, man, I don't think I can ever change such and such a struggle. I think there are those places in our lives. But here we have a promise that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So perhaps that should be your prayer this week. God, help me understand more and more of your grace. Help me be more and more secure in the love that you have for me. Uh, And may that love and that security transform my life. When I failed, Lord, help me run back to you, not fearing you and running away from you, understanding that you loved me before I loved you. May grace lead us to run to God in our sin, in our brokenness, and seek for transformation. Um, can I pray for us that God would begin that work in us? Father, we thank you for this letter um, that is filled with just gems of uh, your gospel. Um, you tell Titus to insist on these things. It is so important that the church gets grace because it's the only way transformation happens. So I do pray that you do a mighty work of transforming us from the inside out, uh, to remind us that our sin is deeper than we can ever imagine. But yet your grace is way more powerful than our sin. That as we look at Jesus, we are reminded that he conquered sin on our behalf. And I pray that in our moment of weakness, um, we would run to Jesus uh, and seek help from him. I pray that you would transform our hearts and you'd help us to find security in Jesus, and that that would transform radically how we live right here in Jobek. Father, I pray 
that we would not come out burdened um, by these commands, these things that you ask of us, but that we would run to you and say, Lord, please help us uh, to live exemplary lives wherever you've placed us. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen.